You are listening to the Millennial Nomad Coming Alive podcast series, where we explore 180 life shifts, inner transformation, and the pursuit of dreams. I am your host, Elmas Molengard, and I invite you to run with us as we engage in some soul talk. These interviews are some of the experimental ones, so please do excuse the minor sound quality interruptions that may occur. The conversations were too real and too precious not to include due to some tech difficulties. I hope you understand. For more information about me and my work, please visit my website at www.millennialnomad.com. Nomad is spelled with two A's, so be on the lookout for that. In this episode, I interview Caroline Caruso, a CPA turned business consultant helping mindful entrepreneurs to budget their money and reach their goals within a framework that meets their values and life priorities. Her story is an inspiring one of combining logic with passion and taking strategic leaps of faith to design an authentic life true to her. I just want to take a minute to thank you, Caroline, for taking the time to do this interview today. Thank you for having me, Elmas. It's a pleasure. I can't believe we haven't even known each other a full year yet, but it feels like we're soul sisters. (laughs) I know. I feel like it's probably one of the most serendipitous things of the of 2019 leading into 2020 was being able to kind of connect and um, talk about our life journeys and what brought us to this stage of life. And I feel like there's a lot of things that we understand when we talk to each other. So it's been really uh, special and interesting how that actually happens when you just meet like-minded people. Exactly. And yeah, your platform connected us. I know I connected with someone from our high school and then they recommended, they were like, have you heard about Elnaz and the Millennial Nomad? And I checked out your website and I think I instantly DM'd you and it's it's been fate ever since. Rest is history um, <laughs> or history in the making, however, however you want to look at it. Um, well, the one thing that I really wanted to start off with with you today, because I think it's so gutsy. And honestly, I mean, a lot of people have talked about wanting to do it. And I've interviewed a few people who've actually taken the step to quit their job, make that jump and pursue what they want and travel the world and all of that. But I am still always fascinated by how that actually comes about and everything that leads up to it. So I kind of wanted to ask you about your experience. I know that you are, are an accountant by trade. You're super brilliant. We went to the same high school. You went to a great university. And I say all this because there's this idea that, you know, when you finally decide to quit your job, people kind of look at you like, are you crazy? Like, why would you do that when you're doing so well? But what was that decision like for you and what led up to it? And, you know, what are you doing now? Yes, all great questions. One of my favorite is quitting corporate and encouraging people to make the right decision for them. So, I'll kind of start off at the beginning and keep it quick. So in high school, I actually was really interested in, in psychology and I changed my, I, when I applied to University of Georgia, I entered as a pharmacy student and that was, I loved math and science. I was very type A and I ended up kind of getting more into natural medicine after getting mono and coconut oil pills actually cured me. And this is in 2008. Coconut oil was not sold at Trader Joe's. Um, And so I kind of diverted from the pharmacy route, heard how hard chemistry was at Georgia. And then I ended up in accounting. So I stuck with the accounting major. I picked it because I was great at math. And I had a few friends that were a few years older than me that were similar students as me and picked accounting very stable job, obviously. And I always knew I wanted to start my own business. I had no clue what, but I just knew I wanted to be an independent woman and accounting made sense, right? So I found myself in college and I hated my accounting classes. I was great at doing homework and following directions, but it never spoke to me, never, never, never. And I just kept with it. And I thought about other things I was interested in. When I was at Georgia, I took like a medicinal herb spices and plants course that I loved and sociology, intro to therapy. I was doing all these electives of things that I really enjoyed. And I think that was a great kind of gateway to open my mind to see what else is out there. But I really had this limited point of view of like, you need to hate your job kind of thing. Like, I think it's passed down as a belief. It's like work is called work for a reason. Not everyone loves their job. So I kind of just was like, well, 
You're good at accounting. It makes money. Let's go. So I remember a big point in this process was I went to Denver. So I picked Denver as the place that I wanted to get my corporate job. I recruited with the big four and I ended up at KPMG ultimately. But I remember being in Denver and visiting Boulder when I was a third year in college and I was just walking around and I loved it so much. It was the first time I had been to Colorado and it was just such a vibe, hippies everywhere, natural medicine, just like a very laid back lifestyle, something I was completely not used to growing up in uh, outside of Atlanta and going to school in Athens. So I remember calling my mom and I just told her, mom, I want to drop out of accounting and be a hippie herbalist. And she's just like, Caroline, (laughs) you know, that is not the path. Just keep grinding, do accounting. You won't regret it. So I kept with it and my internship was really rough. I remember I cried a lot. I could barely make it through 40 hour work weeks and it was never the people like I never had bad instructors or bad bosses yet. It really was just like not my jam. So I just ended up keeping with it and I kind of told myself, let's do the CPA route. Let's do the big four route. Keep your, I'm a big fan of keeping my options open. And that's something that my mom taught me, which I think is great. And so ultimately, I, I lasted three years at KPMG, got promoted to senior. I did audit and then I quit after three years, which is pretty typical, and found a job in a tech startup. And so that was really great because I could work completely remote. So that, I was based in Denver still, and that was the first time that I took a trip to Mexico to vacation and then work. So that was awesome. And it was really that moment. That was February of 2019. So about a year and a half ago when this podcast is being recorded, I really realized like, hey, there's more to life than working 70 hours in a basement in Denver when I'm cold all of the time. Like (laughs) I need to pursue my dreams. I met so many people that were expanders in Mexico, just doing a translating service, working 20 hours a week and then surfing all day. And I found out about remote year and just the digital nomad culture. So that really being in Mexico opened my eyes and I really thought that I would just change careers. I was kind of thinking I want to stay in corporate and maybe I'll just go into HR or recruiting or something more people focused. That was always kind of my big qualm was accounting didn't feel like it filled my soul. It just felt pointless to me. I know it's something that has to get done. I know that I'm a nice person, but it was just like not fulfilling. And so ultimately I decided to quit So instead of, I thought if I'm going to leave accounting, why would I just like switch to a new career right off the bat? Why not just travel? So that's when I decided to buy the one-way ticket to London. And the day after I quit, I went to Europe. So that happened September of 2019. And here we are. Uh, (laughs) A lot has changed, but that's kind of like the quick and dirty version of kind of the thought process of my path for quitting corporate. So first of all, I just I find that so fascinating. And I have so many questions that I want to ask you about the actual traveling and the time that you spent connecting with others. But something that I think people always think about when when someone says, okay, I want to quit my job and I want to go pursue this lifestyle, not only is it a career shift, but it is a total change in your lifestyle. And you, you know, you mentioned the hippie culture, which has become a trend. I think a lot of places like now the has become trendy, but in reality, it's still a word that also carries some stigma. You know, people have, there's this perception that hippies are like in la la land or they're naive and they're not practical, but you know, you come from a really structured, organized and practical field and background. So for you, I mean, making this transition what was it like for you to go from something that was so sure and something that gave you such a good lifestyle and good as ambiguous, right? Good as in traditional Mm -hmm. good, like good money, good structure, and then to leave and jump into the unknown where you're starting over. Right. Yeah. No, great, great question. And I agree with the hippie culture. So 
essentially with corporate, I remember typically some people feel great in corporate having a stable income, having insurance, having that promotion track. For me, corporate felt unsettling. Like I would look at my bosses and a lot of them didn't have a ton of time. It was like we were a work family, which I understand 40 hours a week is normal. And a lot of times you are going to see the people you work with more than your loved ones. But I just remember sitting in my high rise apartment when I first got my job in Denver right after college. And I was so depressed. I was like, I'm in my dream city. I have my dream job. I'm about to get a five grand bonus for just passing the CPA. Like I was having all of these blessings that I worked hard for, but it comes from a place of privilege going to a great university and, you know, all the systems we're exploring now. I'm a white female. And I just was like, this is not going to make me happy. So I think having that perspective of really knowing what my values were, that allowed me to kind of be sure that the risk on the other side of quitting the stable job would be so worth it. So definitely like that first few weeks of being in Europe, I remember being in London, I took a red eye and I was just exhausted, obviously. Like I'm, I'm a huge proponent of sleep. And I just remember I was kind of like a zombie in London, just walking around. I hadn't made any plans yet with people. And I was just like, everything's so expensive. What have I done? Am I really going to figure out what I want to do? I can't believe this. And I really doubted myself. And it was scary. So it's just interesting how on the other side, sometimes both, both can be scary. And what really felt fulfilling were just those random nights. Like I remember one night I went to a yoga class in Portugal. It was on the beach. It's this town called Ericeira uh, at the Sandy House. And I did a yoga class and afterwards I just met a really cool guy from London and he was telling me how he quit his job and runs a podcast on adventures and then all us and like the whole class kind of went out to an Italian dinner and had a great conversation about life and so it's like those sweet little moments like that where it's such an intimate connection and so random and spontaneous that that is like wow like this fills my soul so so much more than any happy hour did in corporate or any paycheck did. Yeah. And I know that something that me and you have talked about, or you and I should, I should Mm -hmm. say is correct, um, have talked about that I think is fascinating also is that, you know, you were able to kind of map this out and plan it out so that you could have enough money saved. I mean, you were smart about Mm it. Um, And I think that's so important because what I love about your story and how everything kind of played out was that you definitely took big risks you are definitely someone who does push the boundaries and wants to experience new things, but you are, you, you have a method behind it. It's not this irrational kind of decision. It's, it's something that you did think out and maybe someone from the outside wouldn't understand that, but you had prepared for it. You had saved money. So I, and now I think, you know, from the last time we spoke, you're actually starting a business. And one of the things that you do is you help people to kind of organize their finances and you bring in your CPA background to actually help people design the lives that they want, where they can be more free and they can be stable while still living this nomadic lifestyle. So what are some suggestions and advice that you have for somebody who wants to kind of quit their job and explore or somebody who just wants to quit their job and start their own business? Yes, great question. And thank you for seeing that in me. So I'm definitely an organizer, love the Google Sheets, everything. So the biggest thing that I did that I would suggest for anyone is making a cash flow projection. And that sounds a little scary to some people not in finance, but it's honestly just creating a simple budget. You can do it with pen and paper and writing out when you quit, what are your monthly expenses? How much does it cost to live, say, in Mexico at a hostel or in Bali at a villa? Or maybe you want to go to New York and you're spending two grand on an Airbnb and mapping out every single expense and seeing how far your savings can take you. So I saved a good chunk of money because I was expecting to buy a house. So I had savings already when I made the decision 
about, okay, I think I want to travel. That kind of, that decision in my head happened in February. And then basically I quit September. So that was seven months. And I just kept saving, but I honestly, I wasn't, I'm not a strict saver. I'm more, I'm all about being conscious of my expenses. So a huge thing too, that I would suggest after you make this cash flow projection is just be conscious with where you're putting your money. An easy thing is if you get the mint app, having a really great visual of your money, and then you can export all your transactions and I'll literally highlight everything that's in alignment. And then I'll highlight any charges that were stupid. Like if I forgot to cancel Spotify and I meant to, or if I get hit with a monthly bank fee and you can even call up those providers and get your money back if you're you know, really trying to save and then seeing what's not in alignment. And when I say in alignment, it's like what resonates in your body? What's a full body? Yes. What is encapsulating your values? And if you haven't made kind of like a values chart or mapping out that, I would suggest that as well. That's so that's exactly what we do in Virgo vibes. And I know I just said a lot of information. So Elnaz, feel free to pause me and ask if you ever want more follow-up, but with Virgo vibes and the values. So Virgo vibes is all about for the dreamer and the spiritual entrepreneur who wants to get organized and goal set. So we walk through the cash flow projection we walk through our values and our core desired feelings. And so for me, my values are my health, loved ones, and exploration. I would say those are like the top three. And really knowing where you are and what you stand for and making sure your spending is in alignment. And it really makes any decision easier when you know kind of like what person are you and what do you stand for. And for anyone listening, I just want to take a minute to put out there that Virgo Vibes is a program, I guess it's called a training program or a class that Caroline actually started. So I think it helps to kind of explain what that is. But um, but yeah, I think the fact that you have something like that is really important because I remember even when I was talking to my mom about, this is a while back, like I wish I had this when I was younger, really. But when mm-hmm. I was talking about things that I wanted to do and and you know, to her, it was such a foreign concept to be like, well, you want to do what? Because it wasn't heard of to kind of, to kind of pursue these things, especially when the things you're pursuing are not, you know, they're ever evolving and they're not things that are very known, you know, like we're kind of building the path as we go. So for her, a lot of questions about practicality came up and money and finances as they should, because, you know, that's part of independence. So I think what you're doing is really great because you are speaking the language and you are understanding the intentions of people who want to live a certain kind of lifestyle, which is really filling a space that has not been, I think, adequately explored as much as it could be, while still giving these tools that are used in everyday management of life and money that can help people to really liberate themselves and live these meaningful lives. Mm, Thank you. And yeah, I remember, so Elnaz and I met, I think the first time in person was maybe in October of last year at Whole Foods. And you were super encouraging. So I had just gotten back from Europe. I was in Europe for five weeks. And I honestly, like present day, I haven't really talked about where I am. And I'll say that after this story. But when we were sitting down, I had no clue what I was doing. I had just gotten my yin yoga teacher training. And I had spent the five weeks in Europe, but I was back at home for the holidays. And my plan was really like, take everything one month at a time. And I was trying to brainstorm if starting a business made sense. And I remember you saying, you know, you need to use the CPA plus the spiritual spin. It's such a niche. And I remember my business I really wanted was to help people make that leap and quit corporate and travel. And my dad gave me great advice. He was just like, if you're starting a company about traveling and you still have money saved and you can still travel. You have this gap in your life that you'll never have again. Why not keep traveling? And I get chills when I talk about this because obviously we had no clue what would happen with COVID. And luckily I got myself back on a plane. I picked Costa Rica and I worked at a surf camp for three weeks there at the start of 2020. And Ended up going down to Nicaragua, loved Nicaragua, lots of permaculture and cacao farms and conscious community there, and then ended in Colombia before I had to fly back home due to COVID. And so 
the point of this story is kind of um, where I ended up. I came back to Atlanta, where I'm from, where we're both from. And I felt just this call to serve. And I really wanted to help heal people. And that's when I decided to train as a death doula. So I graduated from my death doula training last month. And that's a person who provides spiritual, emotional, and light physical help uh, with the person passing and the family. So it's like a birth doula, but the other the other side of the equation. And I love learning about that and focusing on grief. And I started running weekly yoga classes on Zoom and then Virgo Vibes came up. So that was my, it's my six week, six week group coaching program where we focus on organization and goal setting. So all of the pieces kind of fell together and I'm still figuring it out now, but it's interesting just kind of like when you put out into the universe and I know Elnaz, you're so about this, like whatever you put out in the universe and you put out that vibe and you meet the people that really expand you, you get so much back in return. It's crazy. And you really just have to be patient with it all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think going back, just like everything you said, I definitely do believe that, you know, nothing that we do kind of happens on accident. So Mm -hmm. yeah, when you told me a little bit about your experiences, the first thing that came to my mind, because I was looking at it from an objective standpoint was that, you know, what are the odds of someone who thinks like this, but went towards a more traditional career path and then merging those two is such like a sweet combination. Cause I think that, um, you know, like everything that we experience, everything that we do somehow, whether we directly use it or not, there's a reason we gain that tool or there's a reason we, we have that experience. So I think for anyone listening, if they're kind of wondering like what they want to do and why they ended up on a path, I think that you can sometimes completely let go of a certain route, but what you gain during that experience when you were on it, that is invaluable. Like that you will always carry with you. It's like you kind of put it in your backpack of life skills and you can always unpack it somewhere else and use it and make the most of it. So I definitely think that there's a lot of um, a lot of merit in combining the things that we've learned. And I wanted to ask you actually about your training as a death doula because when I saw that you were doing that, I've heard of birth doulas and I don't, I don't know too much about it, but I've heard of it. It's more, um, more of a, like a traditional thing that I can understand it has existed, but why were you drawn to this idea of the death doula and what was that all about? And what was that like for you to experience? Cause I imagine it's kind of intense. Yes. Yes. Great questions. And I love talking about death doula work. So I've been interested in grief probably for the last four years, my cousin had a really high risk pregnancy and she ended up having a baby, Gianna, who had heart defects and sadly passed away after a year and a half. But her pregnancy, you know, since medicine's so advanced, we were kind of prepared, but it was, it was rough on my cousin, obviously, and the whole family. And this happened in 2015 when Gianna passed away. And I just saw how much grief affects us. And I listened to this podcast on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday with Sheryl Sandberg, who's who lost her husband suddenly on a vacation. And she went into how you talk about grief, how you say the person's name, how you never need to be scared about asking the person how they're feeling and just the right things to say. And that podcast just like made something click where I finally, it was kind of opening Pandora's box. And I just found myself having these deep conversations about grief with people on a plane, coworkers, friends, like I just like all of these people would just kind of naturally come to me. So I always was fascinated with grief. And I talked about this actually in Costa Rica with somebody at my hostel. And he said, have you ever heard of a death doula? And I was similar to you, Elnaz. I was like, what's a death doula? I've heard of a birth doula. And he was just like, yeah, you basically accompany a person through the death process. And so I scribbled it in my notebook and then with never thought about it again. This was back in February. And then with COVID, obviously the term kind of triggered in my memory again. And so I ended up finding an online program called Anelda, and it's a nonprofit. And death doula work really started only pretty much in 2015. It's pretty new. 
And there's a few organizations you can become certified through wherever training program you're doing it from. But um, essentially, Anelda was started by a former CPA. So that was cool. Yeah, I found that out um, during the program. And I was like, wow, if this isn't a synchronicity, I don't know what is. And death doula work with Anelda, they split it up into three phases. So you have the planning phase where you can plan how do you want your death to go? Do you want any ritual? Do you want legacy work like a scrapbook made and addressing any concerns you have with death or the afterlife? And then you have the active dying phase. And so the doula treats the patient as the family and the loved one. So during active dying, the doula can normalize any symptoms of death, like your skin can marble, respiration rate can change. And so you're there for the active dying process. And then the third part that they teach us is the grief phase. And so that's the phase that I do my work in right now. Um, I'm just more drawn to it. And so grief, it typically happens four to six weeks after the loss and grief can be anything. So with COVID now, we have the grief of a vacation, the grief of a wedding, the grief of a dream, you know, so much grief in addition to humans and animals. But it's it's just really fascinating work. And a lot of what a doula does is we're not a therapist and we're not a doctor. So we refer out and give resources when we're not able to cover. But I just love it. It's basically having like a warm blanket around you when someone's passing and like someone to have your back. Like it's similar to social work to me in a way, a lot less credentials and a lot less education versus a social worker. But I really think it's a valuable profession and I think it's only going to get more popular. I have so many people reaching out to me about it. I've made a few YouTube videos on it and it's just funny, like random people will connect with me on Instagram. So it's like soul, soul filling work for sure. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to talk about and it's an important thing to talk about because I think as a society or as humans in general, it's natural that, you know, birth is something we that we celebrate and birth is something we look forward to as far as, you know, the birth of ideas or when you are wanting a child, the birth of a child and the birth of life or anything like opportunity. But grieving is a very, very difficult emotion to work through. And for anyone who has um, experienced grief and experienced loss, it is a very intimate process of healing. I don't think one method works for all. I think that people say there are stages, but it's not a very linear route. And I wanted to ask you kind of how do you uh, suggest people to kind of create space? Or if that's not, if you don't feel like you're equipped to answer that, how do you create space for grieving something, whether it's something smaller, like a like maybe a, like an opportunity that wasn't, you know, as large that you were grieving the loss of or like a vision, then, you know, all the way on the other side of the range of like an actual life or an actual life change? Mm, yes, I'm happy to speak on it. And of course, if you're feeling despair, or hopelessness, find a grief counselor or therapist, there's a lot out there and support circles through your local hospice. But I love how you said with grief, it's different for everyone because that's so on point. You're obviously a very intuitive human already, but grief, there is no timeline and typically it lasts two to three years, but it can really vary. And a huge thing is when you're experiencing grief, you really want to make sure you have a solid support system. And at the beginning, if it's like a heavy grief, like the loss of a parent, making sure you have your responsibilities covered. Like if you're not able to work, make sure you take bereavement leave from your job. Make sure your fridge is stocked, not just the week after the death, but really reach out to people or have someone as an ally who's making sure you have meal trains and you're getting fed because that's a huge thing at the beginning. It's just shock once you're kind of after you're dealing with the funeral you're kind of like not going through the grief stage yet but once you're really processing that grief making sure your needs are met and then a death doula typically works with the patient two to three months after the death during that grief phase and so what that can look like is just integrating it so 
It's a lot of just expressing any guilt you may have with the person left behind, any concerns. And a doula can really normalize these feelings and make you feel normal and understood and heard. And a huge thing you can do is just taking like cleansing baths every night with Epsom salts. And I think once you're ready to start kind of honoring the life of the loved one, you can always do your own legacy project, like making a bench outside if your loved one loves sitting in a certain spot or making a scrapbook, making a playlist and honoring them for anniversaries. I know I have a lot of friends who their moms have passed away and one of my friends will make her mom's favorite margarita and then watch her favorite movie. And it really looks different for everyone. So the biggest thing is just giving yourself loving space and compassion, relying on your support network and making sure you have people who are professionals that can really look out for you. And local hospices have great resources too. So if you feel overwhelmed or you feel like you can't afford a therapist, your local hospice, regardless if your loved one went to that one, they can connect you with great free resources as well. That's incredible. Um, Yeah, I I hope that anyone who's listening will reach out to you if that's something that they're interested in, because I know that we have such a limited time and we've only skimmed the surface about that. And there's so much to discuss when it comes to grief and loss, but also everything that you're doing to kind of normalize the process, to walk people through it. I think it's amazing work. I think when people hear the word and, you know, I'm, I consider myself a very open-minded person, but when I first heard the term, it does kind of throw you off, right? And I think it's because humans just have this natural fear or this natural kind of tendency to pull back from things like that. But it is a part of life. It's a really natural part of life. And to kind of be able to open dialogue and discuss it and to feel the way through it in a healthy kind of supported way, I think it's a really powerful way to kind of help um to help with that stage of life. So I do hope that people will reach out to you if that's something they're curious about. And um, it's it just sounds like amazing work. And I, I kind of should do, more, I think I should do more research on it really and learn more about it. Yes. That's so, great. yeah. And I also, I mean, not, I know it's kind of a lot to shift gears from that, but I think that actually kind of fits together because, you know, what we're talking about is kind of making the most of life from the beginning and even to the end stages of the the quote unquote human life, and we're t- it's all about just kind of living it to the fullest and having intention and meaning behind all the things that we do. So when it comes to your your day to day, when it comes to your life now, I know that things are not kind of going in the direction that you thought originally because of the limitations of COVID. But what, when you were traveling, because you did have a good amount of time in which you really went and traveled, what? I mean, I, beyond fulfilling you, what did that experience teach you? Like, what is something you learned about yourself that surprised you while you were on that journey? Yeah, that's a great question. And I feel like, so I essentially did a five-week Europe trip and then came home to Atlanta for two months and then did Central and South America. So I kind of like to reflect on both of those cha- like chapters in a way. And with Europe, and I'm a huge journaler, and that's one thing I forgot to mention with grief is that's a great way to process and obviously record your life, just process any emotion. So I journaled a lot, and I'm huge on integrating those journals, so highlighting them. So I went through during quarantine and looked through all my journals. And with Europe, a huge piece of it was just how much your mindset controls everything. I felt like I was kind of becoming Buddhist in Europe because I felt like I was clinging to finding a new friend, clinging to finding the best hostel, clinging to finding a guy. And I kind of learned slowly to drop all of those expectations and see how much my mindset impacted the day. And then translating to that as life is a journey, life is a trip. And it's so important to get your headspace right. And yeah, that, that was a big, big lesson in Europe. And then with Central America, it was, I was really just finding home. I was finding home in myself. And that was my intention 
for 2020, which is just hilarious to me because I thought finding home in myself meant that would happen while I was abroad. And now I am literally at home again. And I found so much peace in the lifestyle in Central and South America, the rich culture, the foods, the community. I was outside so much in Costa Rica when I lived at that surf camp. I was literally outside. I slept in a school bus. <laughs> so I was not really ever within four walls um, for three weeks. And I was so, so happy. We woke up at 6.30 for yoga and you could hear the monkeys and so many dogs and we had pigs on the land and it was just such a beautiful time. And I really processed, I was going through a breakup and I know you love love stories, but I met this Israeli man in November in Atlanta and we both thought this was just going to be kind of a short friendship. And Costa Rica and my whole trip in Central America was a huge just coming back home to myself and realizing the ebbs and flows of a breakup and learning that even if you connect with a human for six weeks, they can have such a big impact on your life. So that was really great to kind of get that groundedness in Central and South America and really feel like what I love. And I, I found so much of like the elements I enjoy in life on that trip. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Do I start with the <laughs> bus or do I start with, with the heartbreak and the love story? Because, um, I mean, just a quick note on the school bus. How, how was that before I dive into the whole love situation? Um, the sleeping on the school bus, how was that when you are kind of in the public and sharing your space at all times? Because, you know, I've realized something. I mean, I, I was born and raised in, in the States, so it's not that I've ever experienced anything different as far as my home. But when I've traveled, I feel like there's a different perception of personal space. And in the U.S., us Americans are kind of more used to lots of personal space. And we don't like when people come in it. So when you went on this trip, how was it to share your space with everyone at all times? Yeah, you're so funny. Everyone loves the school bus. It was painted with mushrooms. It was very, we say hippie. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more hippie than sleeping on a renovated school bus. So it was actually awesome. I stayed at this place called Dream Sea Surf Camp in Tamarindo, and there were seven ladies on the school bus, and they had just renovated it for us. And it was funny, like we had 50 volunteers at camp, and so the school bus was kind of the best spot, and I, I didn't know that. I was kind of like, oh, cool. And it was fine. I loved it. Uh, I think the hardest thing was we didn't really have Wi-Fi or cell service. So I was very kind of disconnected. And that would be frustrating sometimes, especially when I'm trying to have these like breakup calls with my Israeli ex and just not trying to connect with him. That was hard. But yeah, it was it was awesome. Like I'm I'm one of four girls. I love having people around me 24 seven. And you could do a lot of introspection. There was kind of like this mango tree where you could journal and everyone would kind of do their own thing in the morning or at night. So I never, I never like didn't enjoy it. It was an awesome experience. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I've seen photos of this, but I definitely want to share a photo of the school bus for those who um, listen to your interview so they can have a visual of it too. Yes. I'll get you that. <laughs> But I did want to get back to your relationship dynamic because, as you know, this is a topic like love and relationships is a topic that I love to discuss with people. And I don't know why that's become my thing. And mm -hmm. I think what I've thought, the more I think about it, it's because I like to understand things. You seem to like to understand things. Many people want to understand things. And I think one of the things that are, that we truly can't understand because it's something that is beyond us. It's something that is um, greater than us is this idea of love. And it's this idea of relationships in all their forms. So it's not an intellectual process. It's a very heart-based process. So I think that's where I think my fascination comes from because we can't think through it. So I wanted to ask you kind of how you have processed your emotions because it seems like you formed this really deep bond. It just was so natural. It was so intense. And then but it was impermanent. So 
what does that mean for you? And how did that relationship shape you as an individual? Mm, Yes. Yeah. All great questions. I think the first piece of just how do you process a breakup? So I think a huge thing is just allowing space and being single and not just replacing them. So I have a bad habit of, oh, the way I get over a guy is to find another one. And the universe played a cruel joke on me at surf camp. I was expecting, honestly, I was like, oh, there's 50 people. I'm sure I'll find someone, take my mind off him. And there was nobody there that I wanted. A lot of people were younger. So I'm 28. A lot of people were like 18. So that kind of <laughs> cut cut my odds. And yeah, I just felt like no attraction to anybody. Uh, and so that was really nice to kind of process. And I journaled every day. I tried to do a cord cutting ceremony, like visualization where you kind of imagine the person and literally like if there's a cord between you guys, severing it in your mind. And it really helped to kind of write down like what I did learn, what I what I loved about him, what was a shadow side of him. And I found myself still like basically, so we had three months kind of split up. And then once I decided to come back home from Colombia, I called him because he had traveled there as well. And uh, he was super sweet. And we kind of just reconnected in quarantine. And I felt I fell back into the pattern. We were talking every day and I fell fell back in love with him. And I just couldn't couldn't get him out of my mind. And I have a mentor who's great with conscious relationships and Conscious relationships is essentially just being aware of your actions and making sure this is like a fulfilling, growing opportunity for two people. So he said like a great thing to explore is the concept of imago, which is I-M-A-G-O. And what I did was I wrote down the qualities of every ex-boyfriend I've had, everyone I've said, like, I love you too, or someone who I've been really attached to. So I would say there's like five men like that in my life. I haven't had a ton of boyfriends. And it was interesting, like comparing them. And then it can also like bleed into your caregivers too. So a lot of times, like, we'll fall in love with people that resemble our fathers, if that you're going after men and vice versa, it really depends. And so I just realized how my Israeli ex was very similar to one guy that was really hard for me to get over. And that helped a lot because I realized that there's that transference of emotion where maybe you never really got over that ex in college and then you find someone who's very similar to them and the same feelings come up. And that was really helpful And really just having the confidence in myself and just saying like, hey, these are my needs. And if you can't meet those needs, then this relationship can't work right now. And really trusting that. And I still love him. I want it's really common to kind of repeat patterns. Our brains work in grooves and will essentially just always fall for our caregiver or that ex that got away. So doing the exercise where I listed the qualities of all of the men I had fallen in love with and just realizing the similarities and seeing what I was saying yes to and seeing what I was saying no to, that really helped me process the breakup with my last ex because sometimes I feel like we can fantasize like, oh, this person's perfect and why did they get away? And when I associated more him with an ex-boyfriend that now like I don't have any interest with, that really kind of helped me process it more. So that that's a great exercise. I, I really enjoyed doing that. Do you feel like now that you've kind of gone through that and you've come to that awareness? Because it's one thing to mentally think something and I spent a lot of time talking to different people about this in different areas. You can mentally decide something, but it takes time to integrate it into your heart space. So do you feel like you're now at a point where you are um, kind of more open to a totally different dynamic? Or do you think you're still at the stage where you are working through that? 
Mm. Yeah, it's interesting with quarantine. I feel very <laughs> question mark about <laughs> dating. I know question mark's not really a verb, but uh yeah, it was funny. I actually started going on Hinge for Amsterdam very recently and I was swiping around and I'm talking to this very spiritual guy now and it was kind of unsettling, honestly, like he's so communicative and very sweet and loves cacao and yoga and I find myself retracting. And it's just funny how we think we want something like in the past, I always would say, oh, I really want a spiritual partner. And then when it's in front of us and it's something we're not used to, we really have to observe what's coming up for us and think, you know, why am I being triggered? Why am I retracting? So I think what I learned from this past relationship was really just making sure to honor myself. And I think I'm in that place now where Typically, I would kind of meet someone and go down the whole storyline of, oh my gosh, they live in, I don't know, Berlin, and I can see myself moving there, and then we could have this life together, and like, blah, 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 blah. And now, like, I kind of know that I have my own life, and it takes a very slow burn to get to know someone. You don't want to fall in love with a projection. So I feel like more in confidence of like who I am and just like, maintaining my identity yeah definitely I mean I think that is so um it's so important and something that can be definitely expanded on but that idea of kind of creating your own space and having your own identity because I think a lot of people um something I've noticed and it's why it's so interesting to talk to you because you think of it so deeply and consciously is that people seem to be like in two categories um as a general comment there's those that kind of steer away from all kind of passionate relationships, all kind of emotionally um, super connective relationships. And they kind of go the more like friendship as a base route, which is good. I mean, I think that friendship should 100% be there. But you end up also finding that people end up kind of settling for the person who makes them feel safe, but that's it. And Mm. then you have on the other end, I think the people who go to the other extreme where they never build that proper sense of identity. So their relationship is really codependent and their relationship lacks true foundation and true companionship. And it's just passion, passion, trigger, trigger. And I think that that is also not sustainable. So there's that sweet middle ground, which I think you're talking about here. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to manage it. I think you truly have to know yourself to some degree to walk into a relationship and balance those range of emotions and not lose yourself in it. Yes, I totally agree. For me and all of my friends, I always want to grow. I'm like, is this person making you a better person and helping you grow and expand? Like, let's go. That's awesome. And I'm huge with communication. Nothing's off the table. I'm going to tell my partner how many people I've slept with. I'm going to tell them like a funny Tinder story. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. And I really like that openness. And I think that's kind of like our generation too. We're so open about taboos and, you know, death, race, drugs, everything, like nothing's off the table. And so that's really important to me too, is just like, having that open door and realizing that's you're another human being. And if I'm in a relationship with you, you have the ability to walk away at any point if you want to, but like making sure like we're both in it to win it. And of course, like if I have kids, I don't want someone to just be like, okay, not feeling it anymore. Like I want there to be more thought, but just that reminder of like, you don't, I don't, I don't own or possess anything. Like I'm very open and I think like open relationships, I've never had one, but I I think it's interesting. And I think, I don't know like what my future relationship will look like, but I keep a very open mind about all of those things. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I I kind of, (laughs) I should find someone who's been in one just to ask them for an interview. Cause I think that's something that you know, it's very different for many people, for most people. And um, it would be interesting to hear that perspective from someone who's actually been in one. But um, 
unfortunately, we're almost out of time and I feel like we could talk about so much more, but I did want to ask you the two questions that I always ask people at the end of these interviews. And the question, the first one is what makes you feel alive? Because my whole reason for, for doing these interviews was to encourage people to question their life and to pursue the things that feel right for them. And that may differ from one person to another. So I wanted to ask you, what makes you feel alive? And the second question is, what is a question that you want to ask yourself for the remainder of 2020? Mm, that's so great. Okay, so the first one, what makes me come alive? I would say superficially, just like that packing your bag and about to go on a road trip. I don't think I can think of a better feeling, especially when the weather's great. I just love that feeling. And on a more deeper level of what makes me feel alive, like really having an intimate conversation with some somebody about mental health or like a deep family issue like that is my bread and butter I love talking about secrets and just like weird things that happen to people so that like makes me feel alive and I guess a kind of bizarre sense and a great question okay so the question what would I ask myself for the rest of 2020 I would say why are you not listening to your body like in that sense, like, why are you not being still and doing what feels good to your body and just really tapping into that intelligence? And that's why I love teaching in yoga, because it's all about that. But I do, I do tend to get caught up in the mind a lot. Yeah, no, I think that's a great one. I think people underestimate the intelligence of the human body literally designed to keep you alive and to protect you and to make you thrive. So I think that's a great one. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this again. I really always enjoy speaking with you. And I think it's your candidness and your, you know, total openness to really talking about things that others may shy away from that makes it such a unique interview. So thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me, Elnaz. I love your podcast. It's so needed. And if anyone wants to connect with me, I'm on Instagram at Love by Caro. I have a Facebook group, Love by Caro Community. And my email is Love by Caro, L-O-V-E-B-Y-C-A-R-O at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd love to have you come to a yin class or work on some business coaching or even do the death doula work. So a lot of reasons to play. To connect with Caroline, check out her Instagram at lovebycaro. That's L-O-V-E-B-Y-C-A-R-O. And visit her website at www.lovebycaro.com. I will include the links in the description and the bio, so be sure to check that out. As always, thank you for listening to the Millennial Nomad Coming Alive podcast series, and I hope you tune in to the next episode.